welcome to Right Spokane Perspective with your host, Tim Ben. It's opinion, fact, information, and your alert system. Stay tuned and enjoy the show. Thanks for coming back to the Right Spokane Perspective for your excellent Friday episode today. And yes, we will be talking a little bit about eggs, food prices. We have a lot of other things to cover too, some things on crime. If you heard Wednesday's show, we had State Representative Jenny Graham on talking about the things going on in the Washington legislature. So there's some things there with the crime, but there's also some things in the legislature having to do with farm workers and Washington is a major egg producer. So we'll uh, bring that into the excellent conversation, but first Shannon's going to bring us some excellent inspiration. Let's get inspired. Just out Outside my kitchen window, a robin built her nest under the eaves of our patio roof. I loved watching her tuck grass into a safe spot, then hunker down to incubate the eggs. Each morning, I checked on her progress. But each morning, there was nothing. Robin eggs take two weeks to hatch. Such impatience isn't new for me. I've always strained against the work of waiting, especially in prayer. My husband and I waited nearly five years to adopt our first child. Decades ago, author Catherine Marshall wrote, prayers, like eggs, don't hatch as soon as we lay them. The prophet Habakkuk wrestled with waiting in prayer, frustrated at God's silence with Babylon's brutal mistreatment of the southern kingdom of Judah. Habakkuk commits to stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts and to look to see what he will say to me. God replies that Habakkuk is to wait for the appointed time and directs Habakkuk to write down the revelation so the word can be spread as soon as it is given. God doesn't mention is that the appointed time when Babylon falls is six decades away, creating a long gap between promise and fulfillment. Like eggs, prayers often don't hatch immediately, but rather incubate in God's overarching purposes for our world and our lives. Folks, you know the dream. Heavenly Father, please help us to trust you to work while we're waiting. In Jesus' name, amen. Work while we're waiting. Well, actually, we, interestingly enough, have uh, some legislation having to do with work and waiting for eggs all at the same time. So that's kind of fun. But yeah, eggs are so expensive. I've got an article here from the Los Angeles Times. And folks, we're not just going to be talking about eggs today. So, you know, don't get cracked out there. Don't think in, you know, we're wanting to mess with your yolks. It is expensive. It's, it is it's, an, it's not really a joke. Costs have gone up for American families the last couple of years way more than they're talking about when they look at overall inflation. And so I'll, I'll get back to this Los Angeles Times article. With egg prices spiking in California, Border Patrol agents have noticed a rise in the number of people trying to bring eggs across the border from Mexico, which is illegal. Inflation and the bird flu have also pushed up egg prices in Mexico, but the cost of a dozen eggs south of the border is still much lower up to half as much as in the United States. They are significantly less expensive in Mexico than the U.S., said Giuliano Alcordo, spokesman for the Customs and Border Protection in San Diego. So Border Patrol being involved with this is kind of interesting because they've actually cited in here some of the reasons why they're involved. So at the San Diego field office, border agents seized eggs and poultry products during 1,512 inspections between October 1st and December 31st, which is an increase of 384% at the Tucson field office in Arizona. 
Arizona, agents seized eggs and poultry items 701 times during that same time period, a jump of 300% from the previous year. In Texas, Charles Payne, the customs agency supervisor, a supervisory agriculture specialist, told the Border Report News site that agents there had seen an increase of 108% in the number of eggs seized from October 1st to December 31st. In Laredo, agents saw a 313% increase. So folks, people are smuggling eggs across the border. Seems like they're not being very successful. Maybe they should talk to the other cartels about how they get by with it. Well, you know, it'd be nice if we could get rid of the fentanyl and the heroin coming off the southern border. And if it was just eggs, maybe we could handle that. So this article just goes on to say that they continue to see high numbers of eggs coming across and the Border Patrol doesn't know how to quite handle all of it because of course we see the border patrol is overwhelmed with other problems like illegal alien crossings and of course they're sneaking in the drugs i suppose it's a lot easier to sneak in drugs than eggs because it's hard to hide the eggs it's not like you can stuff them in your sock just put them in a basket yeah right exactly you just throw them in a basket you're on your way to grandma's house grandma's right house. Way to, going yeah. to grandma's house and she needs some eggs she needs for breakfast eggs for cookies i thought anyway so basically what the big problem was of course a lot of people know that the avian flu and inflation is to cause for this the disease affected hens throughout 2022 resulting in 29 percent fewer eggs in the market during the last week of December than the beginning of the previous year, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, and more than 43 million chickens were lost last year, according to the agency, while a dozen large eggs were priced at about $2.35 a year ago, the average retail price in California is now $7.37. That's not like 14% increase in inflation like they've told us. That's a tripling of cost. So, or more than tripling of cost. So people are definitely going to be looking elsewhere for eggs. You know, I guess the same carton this week nationally is much less than in California because California is more expensive. What do you got on eggs over there? Or is it just on food basically? It's just on food. So basically, according to the USDA.gov website, they're saying in 2023, all food prices are predicted to increase by 7.1%. Well, 7.1% is surely a lot less than a doubling in prices like some things have seen, like eggs, dairy products have gone up. Of course, we saw the doubling of gas prices in the last couple of years. So 7%, maybe that's acceptable, but it's still an increase on top of the other inflation that we've had. And in Washington state, they're working on legislation there. And there's some history to this because of course they want to protect migrant workers in Washington state. They also want to protect illegal aliens, but they've decided they wanted to put laws into place to regulate how the agriculture system works. And of course, folks, if you've worked in certain kinds of industries, it's feast or famine. And the reason why they use the term feast or famine is because, you know, you got to make hay while the sun shines. So let's talk about two years ago, Washington state was the first state to ever impose a 40 hour week on farm workers with overtime pay legislation that disregarded the seasonal 
traditional nature of farm work. There is a reason that lawmakers of both parties had exempted farm work from overtime work rules previously. Agriculture is not like manufacturing and other types of business. Farms and ranches can't keep regular office hours. Harvest season involves long hours and strict time pressures, while other times of year are slower. Flexibility is needed to maintain a safe and reliable food supply to meet people's daily nutritional needs. This year, the sponsors of SB 5476 are trying to alleviate some of the damage the overtime pay decision inflicted by providing farmers a 12-week harvest window in which overtime regulations would not be imposed until employees have worked 50 hours in a given week. So up until a couple years ago, basically you had farm workers that would come in and they would make as much money as they possibly could to take back home with them during the season. And, you know, in the past, the reason why we have this summer break for students was that they would be part of the harvest. So even inner city children could go to the farms and work. And we've got these child labor laws that get in the way of that. So in Washington state, they were, I believe they passed laws a, a couple of years ago that won't allow minors to work on the farm to the extent of operating tractors. And it used to be when you were on a farm or you were in a farm community or your parents had a connection to a farm community, like I did myself, I actually bailed hay when I was 14 years old. I ran a tractor, drove a one-ton truck with a trailer behind it hauling hay. And even though I lived in the city, I had family that lived more rurally. And so I could gauge, engage in uh, the agricultural experience. And so we don't do that anymore. We don't have the children that, for the most part, that leave the inner cities or even the small towns and go work on the farms as much. A lot of it is migrant labor. So the state's got engaged in that. But everybody's known in the agricultural industry, when there's snow on the ground, in a lot of the these industries, there's nothing to do. You go to the orchards outside of Omac or Wenatchee or some of these uh, small towns, Bridgeport, those orchards are not full of workers for very many months out of the year because they're covered in snow. There's no apples. There's no orchards to tend to. You know, you have the spring pruning and there's some other things to do outside of the harvest. But when the harvest comes, you got to hurry. If there's a frost coming, you got to get the fruit off the, the vine now and you can't wait for the fruit to be ruined. Then when they start start putting these labor restrictions and labor guidelines on the agriculture industry. Of course, we don't want workers working to exhaustion. We want them to have the choice to say, no, I've got enough hours. I'm not picking anymore. I'm not trimming anymore. But you can't put the restrictions on the employers to the extent that it becomes so expensive that they can't trade because Washington State's not the only one that grows apples. We're not the only ones that produce eggs. We're not the only ones that produce wheat or hay or any of these other products. So if you have a product that you're having to pay, well, the highest minimum wage in the country, I think we have now, and you have to pay overtime hours as you would in other manufacturing type settings that are less feast or famine, you create a trade problem for local producers, whether it's chickens, cattle, eggs, you know, other products that are in the open market. And so when the legislature did that, they created a huge problem. So now they're looking at changing that. And what are they doing there? They are going back and stating that ripening fruit left on the tree or vine after a mandated eight-hour shift may be ruined by the following day. Farms and ranches can't keep office hours. Harvest time involves long hours and strict time pressures to keep the food supply reliable and safe. SB 5476 seek to remedy the damage of the overtime pay rule by providing a 12-week harvest window in which overtime regulations would not be imposed. 
The harsh overtime mandate harms the 164,000 people employed in agriculture by cutting their work hours and incomes. Harvest time flexibility would keep the farms operational, farm workers fully employed, and most importantly, the food supply safer and more affordable for everyone. Exactly, because it'll be unaffordable if you don't have enough labor to pick it and you have a lot of spoilage, which is what they call it. You have spoilage that ends up going to hog farmers. They're not going to pay the prices that we will at the supermarket. So you'll see less supply and the same demand, which means the price is going to go up. There's actually some states that are looking in, not in the agricultural world, but also in other areas, they're going to, it looks like what I'm seeing here in the Washington Post is that they want to change the child labor laws and deal with some of the holes that are in the laws so that children can go back to work because they had laws where like the Minnesota bill would go back to permitting 16 and 17 year olds to work construction jobs. The Iowa law that's being proposed would allow 14 and 15 year olds to work certain jobs in the meatpacking industry. And so I think this is a smart thing to do. Not every child is going to go to school to become a doctor or a lawyer. And the, the agricultural industries have depended way too much on migrant workers and not looking at the labor that is in their own communities. And so we have all these people getting into their working years and not learning the skills and depending on social programs for their sustenance. And we're, we're seeing an increase in our costs because of course, it's also expensive to have migrant workers shipped in to do these labors. So we're going to be back to, with our labor of love here on Right Spokane Perspective. We got a lot more to cover, not so much on the eggs, but maybe a little bit on people that are stealing eggs. We'll be right back. We want to thank God and you, the listeners, for the opportunity to continue the Right Spokane Perspective radio show and podcast programming. We sincerely thank Mike Fagan for 12 years of dedication to our listeners and guests of the Right Spokane perspective and we wish you well in your sabbatical and anticipate hearing from you again in the future listeners it's because of your support we continue to bring you facts commentary and alerts on what's happening in local government politics and issues affecting us all please send your most generous support to right spokane perspective llc p.o box 7620 spokane wa 99207 thanks again and back to the show and welcome back to the Right Spokane Perspective with your host, Tim Ben and Shannon. Yeah, this so far it's been an excellent show, but now we're going to move into things that are not so excellent. And that is, you know, the theft. We've talked to law enforcement. We've talked to representatives from the city. We've had neighborhood meetings where people are really concerned about crime. And of course, the price of eggs, the price of our products overall are a lot more expensive because not just of, of inflation and other things, but the amount of theft that's going on in our supermarkets, in our stores. And Maybe they're not stealing eggs as much as they're stealing electronics and other items. But I know that Walmart stores commonly, like the ones in Spokane, they basically know that they're going to have about a million dollars of theft a month. That's a month, a million dollars of theft a month in one Walmart store here in Spokane. So, of course, that's going to increase our prices because those stores, whether it's on food items, luxury items, clothing, other retail goods, that store has got to make a profit. They can't lose money. They have to pay for the labor that goes out there and stocks the shelves. They've got to pay for the products that come into the store. So there's a bill. We have an area state senator looking to put a bill through the legislature this year to try to handle that. It is SB 5056. And the bill is intended to prescribe greater penalties than already exist under law for habitual property offenders. 
under RCW 9.94A.53. And so this isn't just about the stores and the retail. It's also all the theft that we see with home break-ins and property crimes in general. Is there a little background on that one? There is. So according to Senator Padden, he states that we have a real crisis in the explosion of property crimes, including auto thefts, catalytic converter thefts, and electric charging equipment. What this bill tries to do is keep habitual repeat offenders behind bars for longer periods of time. The proposal as we read it seems reserved for those who simply cannot keep their hands off other people's stuff, says James McCanahan, speaking on behalf of the Washington Association of Sheriffs and Police Chiefs, endorsing the bill. At some point, we simply need to protect the rest of society from career criminals. And they are, according to KXLY, uh, back on January 13th, car thefts in the city of Spokane were up nearly 90% since last year. 90%. And and if we think about that, the car thefts, of course, there was just a stolen car the other day used in a drive-by shooting. And so this rampant criminal behavior, it, it, you know, you can go back to the broken windows theory. If we allow the small crimes, the, the small thefts, they just, the criminals get more emboldened and think that it's just okay, as the sheriff said in, in testimony there, they think it's okay to touch other people's things. And uh, this piece that you're reading from, Shannon, from the Washington Policy Center, Was there any other things in there that they thought was uh, impactful about this uh, law? Again, what was the bill number? The bill number was SB 5056. And according to what I'm looking at, it says it this leaves the additional sentencing up to the court. So it's talking about having some strict penalties for repeat offenders, as opposed to tacking on mandatory minimums, and it could remove some of the teeth from the bill if enacted. Okay, so and- mandatory minimums they're talking about, the state has set up requirements, and part of the reason why we're, it seems like the, we have a revolving door in our prison systems and our jails, and we see this over and over, where people that are committing these crimes, you see that they have multiple charges and they're not old charges from years ago and they've been a good little kid for the last few years. No, we're talking about basically career criminals who over and over are committing crimes, are violating the rights of citizens and small businesses or even large corporations, and they just run amok. The people that are doing massive amount of theft at your local retailer's retail stores are the same people. They run in the same circles as the people that are doing home break-ins. Home break-ins. So let's talk about this last week. This would have been February 3rd. Police arrested a couple accused of stealing more than $23,000 in merchandise from two stores in the past three months. Both of them were booked into jail on suspicion of first and second degree theft, organized retail theft, and criminal trespass. Police had received reports of a man and woman shoplifting from several locations in the Spokane area and identified this couple as being the suspects. On Monday, a local business reported that this couple was near the Northtown Mall and officers located them getting out of a stolen car and running from police before they were arrested. And this so is KXLY? This is out of the spokesman. Out of the spokesman so review. Not so only we've got, we've not got only multiple th- sources here talking about the same issue is that they, they steal a car, then they they drive around. They don't have $3,000 worth of merchandise but, well, from stores. But they don't have to pull over for the officers looking for the stolen car if they're speeding or they have a taillight out because the, the Washington State Legislature says that those activities are okay. But then they go and they steal all of these items from 
stores. And so $23,000 of theft just in this one instance, how many other times have they collected all sorts of tens of thousands of dollars of goods well, and, and sold them on the black market after they've stolen them from the places of business? So when we get to the cash register, we're saying, holy cow, why is this so much money? Why is this so expensive? Because the stores are having to make up for the losses. They don't even call them theft prevention in the stores anymore. They call it loss prevention because they know they're not going to be able to stop the theft because they don't have state laws backing them up. They can't tackle them when they're leaving the store. They make it to the door of the store and they leave. Pretty much most every retailer just lets them walk. Many of the retailers are telling their cashiers, don't even try to stop theft. That's why we have loss prevention because state law, if you stop that theft of somebody and they happen to slip and sprain their ankle, they're going to have these social justice warrior attorneys coming after you for this person's sprained ankle. Even if they're tied to multiple crimes over a short period of time, you can't stop this criminal behavior. So what Padden, uh, Senator Padden is trying to do here is give flexibility. Again, what was it? Uh, Senate Bill 5056? 5056. So folks, you can go to ledge.wa.gov, add support for this bill because what he wants to do, now maybe in the Spokane County, we have a little different feel maybe in our judicial system for holding criminals accountable. But statewide, if these judges have a little bit of flexibility and say, look, this person keeps on habitually, you know, victimizing people in our community with criminal behavior like theft and robbery, they need to spend some more time in jail and not just have this revolving door. Because we know that a lot of the criminal behavior and the theft that's happening in our community, it's not done by random people just deciding, well, I don't really want to pay for that. I'll just steal it. Oh, well, you know, UPS just delivered a package there. I just saw that. And so just a random person decides to be a, a porch pirate. That's not how it works, folks. This, These are our career criminals that are out there committing hundreds of crimes a year. They get caught here and there, but they don't spend enough time in jail to realize that it's not a profitable business. And so, you know, we're seeing crime skyrocket. And, you know, some of this has to do with drugs. You know, we can't say that all of it has to do with drugs, but we know that a lot of the criminal behavior, theft, the people that are doing the stealing, the people that are fencing the stolen goods, the people in the market for stolen goods, it has to do with drugs. Nothing to add there. I'm tired of the drug scene. I'm tired of the drug scene too. I'd like them to be drugged to jail so that we can get it off the streets and get it away from the influence of, or influencing the younger generations to get involved with it. Well, and there actually is, uh, even in the Democrat-led legislature, there is some action where people are obviously frustrated and even the Democrats want to become reelected. And so there's drug possession may soon be, drug possession may soon become gross misdemeanor. And of course, there are possible penalties for a gross misdemeanor, 90 days in jail, which is uh, a, lo a lot of these crimes that we hear about, the theft and uh, multiple times being caught stealing a car, a lot of times they're doing less than three months in jail. In fact, I have an incident here where there was a major assault that occurred not that long ago. And it was like the person stabbed the person three times and they only spent three months in jail. They got a three month sentence. Three months in jail. There's another one out of Spokane Valley. Four people, including a 16 time convicted felon, folks, were arrested during a drug bust in Spokane Valley Wednesday morning. According to the Spokane County Sheriff's Office, the incident stemmed from an ongoing fentanyl investigation into 33-year-old Damian Plumley, who has 16 previous felony 
convictions. Yeah, it's it, it's absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, this drug possession law that the legislature is trying to get passed, and Bill has 15 co-sponsors, including local Democrat Andy Billig is in support of it. I mean, it looks like there's some Republicans in support that uh, the Washington Supreme Court ruled two years ago that the state's felony drug possession law was unconstitutional because it didn't require someone to knowingly possess the drugs for conviction. And of course, if you got the drugs in your pocket, come on, guys. But that, but the courts looked at the law, and it was called the Blake decision. And basically, we need to find a way to solve this problem to where we can deal with the drug epidemic and the penalty options could range from five years in prison and a $10,000 fine to a gross misdemeanor in drug possessions. We know that people are dying. There's actually people out there now that are advocating for death penalty for major drug pushers because there's so many overdoses occurring thousands a year in populated counties like Spokane County. And this is really, really sad. So I'm, I did a Google search on drugs in Spokane for 2023, and it says, where does Spokane can rank in crime. With a crime rate of 53 per 1,000 residents, Spokane has one of the highest crime rates in America compared to all communities of all sizes, from the smallest towns to the very largest cities. One's chance of becoming a victim of either violent or property crime in Spokane is 1 in 19. One in 19. And the reason why the crime is so bad in the city of Spokane is because we're a hub. And it's not just a hub for manufacturing and, you know, Amazon and got lots of different industries here that we're a hub for because I always say we're the largest city between Seattle and Minneapolis. You know, we are a hub to Canada, but we're a hub for the drug cartels. And with the drugs comes other crimes. We're seeing this crime go unabated because our state laws are weak. We're seeing the crime go unabated because we're not holding people accountable. We're not sending people to jail for a significant amount of time. And for those that want to know, that information came from NeighborhoodScout.com. Neighborhood Scout. Neighborhood Scout. So so Neighborhood Scout isn't giving us a very good rating and we want good people to move here. here. This isn't the Spokane that I grew up in. Well, and I think there's a lot of communities that are suffering that as well. I mean, we we kind of are more centric to what it feels like to live in Spokane because we were born and raised here. We raised our children here and we're looking for Spokane to continue to be a place to live that, well, actually, it's not really anymore. I mean, that's the problem. But these problems can be solved. There is legislation on the table, like with Patton. There's legislation on the table that we talked about with Representative Jenny, Jenny Graham. Graham. And there are there's legislation that Senator Holy, local representatives, are over in Olympia fighting for state government reforms of our laws so that our law enforcement can do their jobs properly. County Commission wants to build a new jail. We haven't had a, a jail built or facility in our lifetime, really. The, the I think the Spokane County Jail was built in the 80s. Maybe it was the 70s. But it's been a long time. And our, our city and our county has grown a lot. And we know that there's going to be bad guys out there, but now we're breeding bad guys because people are not being punished. People aren't being held accountable. And that's what happens. Broken windows theory. If you allow criminal behavior to be rampant, then you're going to see more of it. The Washington legislature, there's people over there that are putting ludicrous things into place. They want to make jaywalking, right? There's local writer was talking about it in the spokesman review. They want to get rid of jaywalking. Well, if you don't stop jaywalking, 
then people are just going to stand in the middle of the street. They can just block the street then. I mean, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And of course, we don't need to infringe on civil liberties when we can just enforce common, known decency laws. And it's not decent to let criminals out to keep victimizing citizens in Washington state. I've got a whole plethora of stories here. A man who spent 10 years in prison for a 2012 murder back in jail on suspicion of attacking a woman. And this character is only 28 years old. He obviously murdered someone when uh, he was much younger. And we're just going to continue 10 years in prison for murder. That doesn't even seem normally people spend more than 10 years in prison for murder. Maybe it was because he was young, but they obviously didn't do a good job screening him when they decided they were going to release him. And so we need government to look at how they're going to deal with this man arrested after allegedly slashing fellow Trent shelter guests face with a box cutter. Apparently this individual had a pretty long criminal history. One of the other stories that we were looking at was a, a fellow that attacking uh, his girlfriend, it looked like, broke into her apartment and uh, was already convicted of 11 different felonies. We had a 17-year-old killed in a drive-by shooting and deputies find a man shot in living room near 2nd and Havana. So the crime is out of control and the only way to get it under control is to quit letting the criminals out. If they're not reformed, it's not just about jailing people. It's about reformation. If they're not reformed, they're not ready to go out in society. They're still pushing drugs while they're in jail. Maybe you should hold on to them longer, stop the flow of drugs into the jail. So these are issues that our legislature is dealing with. We need to contact them and get them engaged with the Democrats from the other side because we're starting to lose residents. We're starting to lose industry, businesses, stores closing down, and we've got to maintain some kind of civil society and with that kind of rampant crime you can't do that well folks we're out of time for today's show we're going to run off into the weekend hope all of you have a great weekend spend some time with your family keep them safe obviously uh it's a dangerous world out there but it can become safer and monday we've got some interesting news about how politics are heating up and people are pretty outraged over it it's outrage nation but you know what there is a way to solve it that being said we'll see you on monday Bye bye